Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Science tells us that the most effective storytelling is one that is human-centered around people, people we care about, we identify with, we relate to. And if you study people's brains when they're hooked on a story, they actually, their brains um, act like a participant, not a spectator. And then if you end on triumph, they reach the goal, you leave your viewer feeling, wow, I can do that too. It is a self, like love begets love, hope begets hope. And I feel like what you're doing with this human-centered storytelling is trying to drag us in this direction. I feel like the world needs much, much more of it. The world would use like, could use like a legion of Cheryl Hausers, even though that's impossible because you're like this unique figure and, and unicorn. Um, and one of my goals in having this conversation really was for you to try and impart some of what makes you you onto like other folks who want to be you. It is my pleasure to welcome to Yang Speaks, award-winning filmmaker uh, and human storyteller extraordinaire, Cheryl Hauser. Cheryl, welcome. Thank you, Andrew. I'm uh, thrilled to be here with you. And Cheryl, you and I go way back um, where first I'll take uh, listeners to the beginning of the campaign. There was this video that, that sort of launched the campaign. Um, it was... Uh, me saying, I'm Andrew Yang, and there were robot arms uh, and um, graphics around universal basic income. Um, and I loved that video at the time. And I now realize just what an extraordinary filmmaker you were because you didn't have much to work with during that time. <laughs> like, like there was like the campaign as we know it today didn't exist. So there, were, there was no footage of crowds. Uh, there wasn't even me... Um, really interacting with folks. And so you had to work some real magic. Uh, I'm not sure how many people uh, listening to this remember that first campaign launch video because no one was paying any attention. Um, but thank you for taking that challenge on. Like I thought you aced it at the time and now I appreciate it even more. Well, thank you. Um... It was a challenge, uh, mostly because I'm such a visual storyteller and I like telling stories. Um, film is a, a, you know, it's all about capturing action. Um, and there was really no action we could capture with you because you hadn't declared yet. You weren't out interacting <laughs> with people. Also, you're all about humanity first and I couldn't capture you with other people. And that's what humanity is all about. So um, we did film with you and then had to um, license some of the footage to, to bring some of what you were saying alive. And that was very painful because I love, I love capturing original footage and capturing really beautiful original footage. But you know what, uh, I, you know, as a filmmaker, filmmaking is problem solving and it's all about, okay, how do we tell this story and how do we tell it with what we have to work with right now? And I, you know, your message came through loud and clear and so did your humanity. And that's what, that's what mattered. Now, one reason I wanted to have this conversation with you is because I feel like there are a few things happening. Um, one is that uh, so much of the way we communicate now is through stories. Uh, and that's from folks trying to promote something on their social media um, to politics, for sure, um, all the way up to documentary films. Um, and I found it both frustrating but also edifying that it seems like politics is really 
becoming very much about storytelling. Uh, it's about trying to message um, your policy in particular ways. And I, I feel like people could use like a primer on effective storytelling, which is sort of what I wanted you to, to come and talk about because there's just a lot of bad stuff out there. And I know you're, you're a seasoned pro, so when you see a video, you're like, oh, this is not very good <laughs> about a lot of things. But what, yeah. what I kind of wanted to do is for you to lay out for someone who's passionate about something, maybe it's about a candidate or a cause, or really about how they can most effectively uh, convey um, their excitement in an effective way using, let's call it, um, video as a medium. I, and not, I'm not talking like, you know, hour long video. I'm talking about right now, I, I suppose in this era, it's more likely to be like a 60 second video. Sure. Um, I believe strongly in human centered storytelling. I mean, it's not only what I believe in, it's what the science tells us is what's most effective. And um, I, I use storytelling as a driver to create understanding, break down biases, uh, create connection between people. Um, and especially now more than ever, um, you know, when we're becoming more and more polarized to show that what we have in common is so much as, as human beings, so much greater than what separates us. I mean, and, and to use storytelling to not just create understanding, but also to drive action. So, um, and solidarity. But um, so, so I, you know, for, for anyone who wants to reach others, uh, it's important to, um, to understand who you want to reach and then to um, cast people who are relatable to whoever you're speaking to um, and bring uh, viewers on an emotional journey through that person. So, so casting so for most is people on their social media. Their casting is just going to be themselves. <laughs> they're, they're okay, so if it's themselves, it's about being uh, vulnerable, being authentic, being genuine. Uh, people really can pick up when someone isn't. Now, when when you're as good a liar as our president is, he comes across as to some people as authentic. But but most people, when they're putting putting on a show and not being genuine, people sense that. Um, and that's one of the reasons why you were so popular, Andrew. You were very real. You were yourself. Um, you were vulnerable. You were fallible. You were, you know, and you, you started out a bit uh, the robotic, the numbers guy, not accessing as much your humanity. And that was something you grew into as you became more comfortable on the campaign trail. It was always there. Um, so, you know, I, I guess, um, I'm not here to ask you questions, but, um, oh, but ahead. yeah, but, but it, even in terms of, of, um, of your learnings on the campaign trail, um, what did you experience as what resonated most with people about you? Well, we had a joke on the campaign trail where we're going to start with people's heads and then move to other body parts. <laughs> and I, I think that that was true about me too, uh, where when I started out, I thought, okay, we've got this massive problem that I can see um, in automation and the transformation of the economy. I have facts and figures that I've um, researched and have confidence in, in and conviction in. Uh, and so let me try and communicate this to folks. And it was effective with some narrow band of people, um, certainly not like this whole swath of people, which I think I expected, uh, and and then, and you always pushed me on this too, because you were with the campaign in the early days, and then um, as we progressed, where you thought that we needed to make more emotional appeals, uh, and I'll say for me it was a struggle, because that's not, that wasn't my natural mode of trying to communicate or deliver a message. Uh, you know, I've I been the CEO of a private company, and I was very seldom uh, burying my soul or tugging on my heartstrings in that role. You know, it was like, okay, here's the goal. Here's what's going on. Here are numbers. Here's the, the best approach. Let's go do that. And we tried to have fun. Like I tried to be fun. Uh, but a lot of the time it was um, just about trying to get specific actions done. Uh, so it was a lot of learning for me, Cheryl. Uh, and did I expect that learning from the beginning? 
Uh, I think I underestimated it. I think I underestimated the humanity involved in running for president, which might sound ridiculous if you say that, but I, I believe it's true of me. Well, you always had that humanity. I mean, I, you know, the movie we did together, Generation Startup, uh, it's there. And uh, when we traveled across the country together at event screenings, very present. Um, but, um, and you certainly grew into it. Um, it. It's funny, you talked about, you know, in Generation Startup, you're Yoda. And on the campaign trail, you were Luke Skywalker. Um, and Yoda in Generation Startup. So let, let's give... Well, but to, to finish your, your question, I, I mean, it's, it's basically, I think people have to be themselves, genuine, authentic, human, and then um, uh, take viewers on an emotional journey. And that can be on, on an emotional journey around them, why they're running, why they care about the issues they care about, or through other people. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Why let big tech companies see everything you're doing online when you can just use ExpressVPN and then be footloose and fancy free? Plus, you get access to exclusive content by beaming in to another market. What do I mean? Let's say you have Netflix and you missed the show Snowpiercer. By the way, I loved that movie. And you want to watch the TV series, not available in the US on Netflix, but if you beam into the UK or someplace else, then there's Snowpiercer on your Netflix. See how it works? This is a way you can get more from what you're already spending on streamers, plus totally anonymous online, plus you can do it by pushing one button anywhere you are. It's why I love ExpressVPN. It's like a set it and forget it. So be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com yang. Don't forget to use my link at expressvpn.com yang to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. When you came to me, I guess it was uh, in January or February um, when you were gaining some traction, but not uh, hadn't broken out widely yet. And you said, Cheryl, what can you make for me that 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 captures my humanity and our slogan, humanity first? And that's when I said to you, we need to find people who embody the need for your policies who are brimming with humanity and we used you as product placement in those spots i mean you we so we filmed with two people a man and a woman they had certain issues problems they were struggling with and then um uh you know we the we captured them in a way that uh they were very relatable universally relatable even though they were very unique in particular in their um identity and stories and then you came in as kind of the savior who, with your policies, would change their lives. So we showed, not tell. I mean, it's also really important in storytelling, especially in film, a visual medium, it is show, not tell. People don't take in information um, or they take it in much better if it's the information is in service to a story that uh, touches their hearts. And um, so the, you know, science tells us that the most effective storytelling is one, one that um, is, is, is human-centered around people, people we care about, we identify with, we relate to. Um, and um, we release oxytocin when we watch something about someone we care about, and that is the love hormone. It, it's it's what makes us um, feel um, attracted to somebody. It's the, it's the hormone we secrete when we kiss, when we breastfeed, when we have sex, when we hug, when when we and watch then, like uh, videos of our kids as like the one exactly. That you feel warm and fuzzy. It actually changes your body chemistry. And then the story needs to be structured in a way where there's some tension and rising tension. And if so, that's what captures our attention and holds our attention because we secrete cortisol. And cortisol is um, it's a hormone that is from our um, the amygdala, the fear center, and um, it's what, what um, heightens our attention. Um, so if you have rising tension in a story, 
and you have people who are relatable, the cortisol grabs the attention, keeps your attention because, I mean, we're in an attention starved world, but even before social media and all these other things, our brains are, are prone to wander, but you want someone engaged. So it engages our brains, it engages our heart. And then after, if, if I believe strongly in structuring stories that, well, the classic story structure from like ancient times to today is there's someone, that person has a goal, there are obstacles in the way, the person has to struggle to reach the goal. We have to understand what's at stake. The bigger the stakes, the harder it is to reach the goal. The more we identify with the person and root for them, the more we go on that emotional journey with them, which is actually, um, if you, if you um, study people's brains when they're hooked on a story, they actually, their brains um, act like a participant, not a spectator. So you can actually bring someone on an emotional journey. And then if you end on triumph, they reach the goal, you leave your viewer feeling, wow, I can do that too. Um, and then it also releases dopamine, which is kind of the reward center from the reward center of our brain. So it leaves us feeling optimistic and hopeful. So um, that, that like is like... So it sounds like you start with oxytocin and then you get to cortisol and then you hope to leave them with dopamine. Right. But you, and the way to do that is to um, tell stories about somebody the viewer cares about, whether it's the candidate uh, telling his or her own personal story where we care about the person. Um, and uh, that person's struggle, uh, it could be personal struggle, it could be struggle of why they care so deeply about why they're running or a certain issue, and then ending with a sense of hope. Because if you leave people with no hope, then they're not going to feel like they should take any action. Because if they're not going to be able to achieve their goal, then why bother? You know, you want to, and which is, So Cheryl, yeah. one of the criticisms, you know, I had and like I struggled with, we've all seen those cheesy political ads. It's like, you know, it's a black and white photo and it's like, I grew up like, uh, you know, the, the son of a cobbler or like the, <laughs> like the, 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 the daughter of a um, Thatcher or what, you know, I mean, I'm making that up because I don't think we have Thatchers anymore, but <laughs> it's like, um, like where, where you make the person relatable and then like you make it seem like they overcame this hard scrabble background. And then like you have some uplifting photos of them, you know, like I personally have lost patience for, uh, those political ads. And I know when you and I talked about this stuff, like I, I struggled a little bit with trying to convey things in a way that felt personal to me that just didn't feel like uh, artifice or it's like, okay, hit this beat, hit, hit that beat. Um, because I feel like at this point, people have just lost all patience with political ads and communication. Um, I, but it I sounds like the things you're saying appear in a lot of these political ads. So do political ads look the way they do because they work? Well, I don't. I don't know, but I think that execution, it's always the devil is in the details, right? It's like what I'm laying out, you can, like any story, you can execute well or you can execute poorly. So like, just, just cheesy like is horrible. Are out there, like, yeah. You know, no one sets out to make a bad movie, but there are a lot of bad movies that get made. Sure. And it's not paint by numbers. It's not like there's no formula to follow. It's really about for every single person finding what is most genuine to them. Um, but that doesn't mean cheesy. And cheesy cheesy is how something shot. It's the music. It's the graphics. It's cheesy is, um, you know, it, it's a quality. And so I think that um, uh, you, you know, you, you want the, um, the feeling of a video to reflect the identity and feeling of the candidate, not to, because everything, again, this, I, I hate the word authenticity because it's so overused, but like you, that is one of the many reasons, Andrew, why you broke out because you didn't, you didn't study what do other politicians do and how do people running for office, how, how am I supposed to behave? You didn't do that. You were you, you always showed up as you. Um, well, one thing that we found, 
uh, early in the campaign when we were shooting various videos or appeals where the most effective appeal was just me talking to my cell phone camera. Um, I think because of what you're describing, where it strikes people as very genuine and human because everyone talks to their, their phones. And so uh, it seemed like you couldn't fake anything. And, and I think that that's something I've seen with younger political figures yeah. uh, where they seem really good at that. Right. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how excellent and Instagram soliloquy deliverer I am, uh, you know, in the scheme of things. Like, uh, but I, I agree that just giving someone a glimpse into um, your moments on the trail or your, uh, you know, like home or whatever it happens to be, uh, like it makes them feel like they know you in a particular way. Um, I think if a politician was not able to do that, um, then it, it, there, it seems like there's something missing. Well, I, you know, AOC's launch uh, video was brilliant. Um, it wasn't hugely polished, but that didn't matter. I mean, in terms of how it was shot, it actually probably was helpful that it felt so real. Um, and it, it, was, it was everything I just described in terms of, you know, uh, her, her struggles, her journey, her why, her, you know, her, her being relatable. But it was you know, um, not cheesy. There was nothing cheesy about that video. So it's, it's all about the execution. Um, uh, and, and people being vulnerable, being themselves. I mean, you know, you, you see all the, even studies about leadership and what builds trust and what builds loyalty among a leader. It's if that person has credibility and then that person is vulnerable and 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 shares that they're fallible or that they're scared about something or that you know shares human emotion that we all have then people see that person as human not superhuman you don't want to be seen as superhuman because then you don't well, seem well, approachable you well, don't well, seem most, real most people probably would like to be seen as superhuman <laughs> but, but This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy in that I knew if you're going to spend eight hours doing something, you should probably invest in doing it right. That's why I love Helix Sleep, which will send a mattress to your door that's made just for you. You take the Helix Sleep quiz and you get matched with a mattress based upon whether you want it to be soft, medium, firm, how you sleep, other variables, and then voila, it gets sent to your door and you can try it for up to 100 nights and send it back. They have a 10 plus year warranty because they believe in their product so much. I do too, my kids do too. They actually seek out this mattress even though it was designed not for them. <laughs> That's how good this product is. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple chiropractors and doctors because they think it'll make you healthier. Don't take my word for it. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang and use code helixpartner20. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. When you're starting out, particularly if you're running for office, as I was... Um, you do feel some sort of pressure to be competent and not super vulnerable, shall we say. Uh, and um, there, there came a point in the campaign where I became increasingly comfortable with the fact that I could evince some degree of vulnerability or, or struggle and not have people just say like, oh, like, you know, this person's like not serious or not presidential or whatever it is. I mean, president is uniquely tough because there was this struggle to quote unquote seem presidential <laughs> and, and, and and then so when i just joked about like most people would like to be seen as superhuman um is that that i think and even if you have the reverse of it too it's like if, if for example the first image you see of a candidate or, or a social media story is of the person struggling and you don't know them or don't like have a, a sense of them then like i like there's a concern that it'd be 
um, more of a turn off than like a reason to try and get behind someone. Like if I'd never seen a candidate before and the first thing I saw was them talking about how um, hard it was, I'd be like, mm. <laughs> like, I'm not sure if I necessarily would uh, buy in or, or am I wrong about all of this? It's a good question. I mean, Andrew, when you cried on the campaign trail after one of those school shootings and you got up to give a speech and you broke down in tears, do you know everybody felt, the ones who were in love with you already fell more madly in love with you and you picked up so many supporters at that moment. And um, I think that a lot of people who were moved by that were, had not been aware of you prior to that. So, you know, had you been a woman and you cried, I think it might have backfired. So there are some gender so, issues. Yeah. So that, that's, that, you know, that, that's an excellent point. But um, I, you know, when you, I, when you posted your, somebody found, or you, you know, you posted your, your high school or some, well, some. Well, it was coming out in New York Magazine. And then I had to be like, well, this is coming out anyway. So <laughs> I, I should just. You posted something from your yearbook in goth. Like, you know, like people I, went wild on social media you, because you know, you were human, you were relatable, you were, you know. What you just said about uh, gender, though, I think is really interesting. And this is something that Zach said to me on the trail, too, um, where if you do something against type, then people um, like it. So, uh, you know, if I'm supposed to be the uh, Asian tech entrepreneur, um, and then I cry because there's a grieving mom who tells tells me about how her uh, three-year-old or four-year-old was shot in front of her uh, and then that's like not what you'd expect so then people are like oh it's like a third dimension whereas it you just said it like if you were if you had a woman and she acted uh, emotional in the same way and she cried uh, then you might not uh, interpret it favorably because you're uh, because it's not necessarily quote-unquote like against type I don't know if that's um, if that makes sense or is right uh, I think I, th I think what it boils down to truly is how genuine the person is. You know, if somebody turns on the faucet and cries because it's a manipulative move, I'm going to do this because I think people will find me uh, sympathetic. It's, you know, horrible. But I mean, you, you were so, I keep saying this, you were so genuine. And that's, you know, when you, when you said, I kept thinking, how do I be presidential? You actually you didn't you didn't care that much about being presidential you didn't care about running your campaign like everyone else did you didn't wear a tie on that first debate because or any of them like <laughs> you know or well after that you couldn't wear one after that i mean you know yeah, that's probably but true. you know it's 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 you know it's i don't think you overthought like uh you were like this is who i am and i'm going to be me and so and people felt that they felt that here is somebody who's not a politician. They were so relieved that you were not a politician and that you cared deeply. And, you know, so in terms of, you know, when, when we, did, we did that video together with Joe Lamar and um, in the edit room, I chose to open that video with him weeping. You know, he's this big guy, what, 6'3", six, 6'5", six, covered in tattoos, looks, looks, you know, everyone looks at him and thinks he's a gangster, which is horrible stereotyping. But we're, you know, I filmed with him and he's there weeping about how he's working two jobs, getting three hours of sleep a night, even working two jobs, can't make ends meet. Um, and uh, at the end of the video, you know, the comments on the social media and also on the eight minute doc were extraordinary. People saying how uh, much they admire Joe, the solidarity they felt with Joe, how strong Joe is that, you know, so people saw Joe as, as super strong. They did not see him as weak, even though we opened that video with him crying. So I- Joe, Joe's for, an amazing guy. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think that um, maybe a, as uh, a person who who's in that, that boat, it's like sort of harder to embrace uh, that sort of thing. But I agree with you that most people would find it appealing um, and human. So on, on this, this topic, I think some people are probably curious as to how you came to be a storyteller. Like what's, the, what's your story in terms of your 
um, doing this work, and obviously I know uh, a lot of your backstory, but I think it, it, like uh, some people listening to this would be like, how does someone become like um, uh, an award-winning filmmaker? And how did you get to, to this stage? So when I was in college, I worked on a feature documentary called Children of Darkness about children with mental illness. And it, we were a tiny team. We were three people, the, the director, cinematographer, and me. Um, and uh, they were older How old men. Were you at this point, Cheryl, you were. I was 19. And so I spent my days in these psychiatric wards with young children. And I was, you know, getting to know the kids and getting them to open up and finding their stories. Um, and sometimes interviewing them on film because they had formed that trust and bond with me. Um, and then, you know, learning from, uh, you know, these two amazing filmmakers. And came out of college and um, worked in feature films as a producer, um, was one of the producers on, um, and, and Children of Darkness was, it was a heart-wrenching film to make. It was nominated for an Academy Award. Um, uh, the filmmaker, the director died young and the, his sister put it up on YouTube 10 years ago. It has an astronomical number of views, which is extraordinary for a 35-year-old movie. Um, but, um, then, you know, came out of college and, and moved into producing and was one of the producers of David O. Russell's first movie, Spanking the Monkey, and, and was making films out in Hollywood, um, and then started having kids and didn't want to be in LA all the time. So I moved into nonfiction television. So um, you moved to LA directly out of college? You had No, like I stayed, I, I, I moved to London directly out of college and I worked with Robert Bolt, who wrote Dr. Shivago, Lawrence of Arabia, Man for All Seasons, and won many Academy Awards. And he had had a stroke and he was um, writing uh, the mission. And I did all the historical research for the mission um, and worked with him in an adaptation of a Gore Vidal novel. And um, I got that job because of a trait that I use in everything I do now, which is very active listening. Um, I went and met with him and he uh, was very hard to understand because he'd had this stroke. And I, I listened with my like, whole body and core. And I think he felt relaxed and he felt I could see and hear him and that we could communicate. And he hired me to do all the research and we grew very close. Um, and then when I moved back from London, I um, started producing feature films in New York, but was in LA all the time, because that's where that world is. And then when I had my first child, whom you know, Avery, I didn't want to be traveling so much. So I moved into nonfiction television when that was um, just coming of age and made hundreds of hours of television for Nat Geo, Discovery Channel, and all of the cable channels, and was always second in command building the company for other people. But I got to an age and stage about 10 years ago where I felt that um, I had uh, tremendous talents that I could be using for uh, more meaningful work. And I finally got up the courage to go out on my own and launched Creative Breed with uh, the mission, one, to only tell stories that would inspire me and inspire other people and uh, lead to positive social action or, or positive action, good juju in the world. And then only, <laughs> only work with people who aligned with my values um, uh, because those two things are super important to me. So now I tell human-centered stories across all platforms, the feature documentary we did together, Generation Startup, to you know, web series, national campaigns, um, branded content, but all with the goal of um, breaking down biases, uh, forming emotional connection uh, with people and between people, and um, spurring people to take action. Um, so you and I uh, worked closely together on that documentary, and if anyone's listening to this wants to see a feature documentary about uh, a group of young entrepreneurs trying to make positive things happen in Detroit, uh, Generation Startup is a phenomenal film um, that I make cameos in as Yoda, as Cheryl said, <laughs> but Cheryl's the co-director and uh, producer of that movie and that was a real labor of love I learned so much from you 
during the making of that film. Uh, and it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it, uh, I, I certainly lived everything those young entrepreneurs were living. Um, but, uh, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and thank you for trusting me, Andrew, um, to take that journey together. Um, because we, so we filmed with, uh, six venture for America fellows over the course of a year and a half. And you didn't know and I didn't know where those stories would go. But when we met uh, to talk about doing it, I said to you, uh, I can make a beautiful commercial for you that you can use for recruiting and for fundraising. Or you can, and, you know, I'll make, you are the client, I'll, I'll make whatever you want. Um, or you can give me full access, full editorial control, and I will make a feature documentary. I promise people will laugh and they will cry. But whatever happens along the way, if a Venture for America fellow goes off the rails or something that happens, like that's going in the movie if we've been following that person. And you said in your characteristic, you know, truth-seeking way, that is what I want. We, uh, we glamorize entrepreneurship. We only hear about uh, you know, startup founders when they're successful. Yeah. And we need to tell the honest story, the true story of how hard it is, but also how rewarding it can be. Um, and that, you know, uh, and you never asked me in those year and a half, what, what are you recording? What are you capturing? How's the film going? I mean, meanwhile, I was like, oh my God, are we going to have a film at the end of this? I was tracking the stories very carefully, but you don't know until you go into edit. Like, is it going to like hold together? Even towards, even until the very end of the edit, I was very, very worried. How are we going to make these six disparate stories a cohesive whole? Yeah, it, it was a daunting challenge, but you pulled it off and then some, um, you and the team, I love that movie, and it was a privilege to be a part of it. And you know, the fact that it touched so many people made me really happy. It it had had it was funny because I sell jokes that probably cut a little close to, to home for you. But I I talk about how like I wouldn't uh, wish. Uh, the world of independent film on my worst enemy <laughs> because I, like, right? I saw what you went through. But I just know that that's like a, an industry where it's got to be uh, people uh, doing labors of love because like it, it's not like anyone's like throwing riches generally. I mean, and, you know, like other things you might hear about like the one crazy outlier. Uh, but for the most part, it's a very, very tough field uh and it's like the spirit of entrepreneurship that you were containing so that you were capturing was actually being uh, embodied through your filmmaking process i mean you're one of the reasons why i appreciate creatives so much because just about every creative is really an entrepreneur in the truest sense uh you know yeah. you're you have like a vision you're trying to make something positive happen in the world i don't think creatives get enough credit um for this reason uh and uh, one thing I said on the trail a lot was that artists have the same impact on an economy or a community as entrepreneurs do. Like if you have a group of artists move to a town, uh, then you should invest in real estate in that town because the values are going to go up the same way as if a group of entrepreneurs moved there. Well, and also your your whole push for UBI to enable people to uh, have time and a little time and space to pursue creative endeavors, not to monetize them, but just because it's such an important form of, of self-expression and getting in touch with our own selves and our own identity. But I, I, I was drawn to telling that story because I had just launched my own company and it took me decades to get up the courage to take that step. And I was so inspired by these young people who were taking, you know, risks at like knowing so much less than I did at, so, at a much younger age. Um, so, and they kept me going. I mean, I, you know, I, I looked at them and their resilience and their courage and I was like, okay, Cheryl, they can do it. You can keep going too. You can do it too. So, um, so for folks who are trying to, well, a lot of people listening to this are like, oh my gosh, like I would love to get into that, that industry. But I think we're, we're um, right now you look out there and you have this incredibly discerning eye and you see a lot of bad stuff. You see some good stuff. <laughs> you know, I mean, like uh, there, there's a, a, a lot of um, not compelling video content, shall we say, uh, yes. out, out there. Um, so assuming that folks who are listening to this are creators or creatives, 
Um, you've li laid out some of the big principles around having a relatable character who's authentic and struggles somewhat. So that could be you, the you know the the filmmaker and subject simultaneously, or it could be you finding someone else. Yes. Uh, and and then there's a degree of struggle or adversity that they go through, which we're all kind of familiar with the hero's journey and like you know that like the obstacles come up, and then optimally you wind up um, with some triumphant note or at least feeling of optimism but the triumphant uh, note has to feel genuine it cannot feel pat it has to be like which is why in generation startup uh that film is so powerful because we you know it, it's hard won they all are triumphant in in but also triumphant in very non-conventional ways some of them which is why we uh ta the tagline for the film is uh, learning to fail, redefining success, um, because yeah, and, it's and, and this is one of the big themes of my campaign, and something I'm very passionate about is that if you do something and you uh, believed in it and you put your heart and soul into it, uh, and it quote unquote doesn't work out, or like you don't become rich or something like that, like it, it's still incredibly rewarding and formative, um, and it's a frustration of mine that we essentially at this point. Um, will let others tell us what success is. You know what I mean? Like, uh, or let Always. the market tell us what success is. Well, I mean, that's what holds so many of us back from doing what we really want to do is like, even you talk about it, the, the values and measures of success in our society um, are around how much money do you make or what is your job title or where, or like what company. I, when, even when I introduced you as an award-winning filmmaker, which you are, <laughs> but, but, there, but there is like a little bit of like this, you know, Cheryl might not have won an award and she'd still be uh, incredible and awesome as like a, yeah, you know, but, else. Yeah, but, but, but the, the, the more important thing is that, again, to, you know, I, I told you when we started making the movie, I mean, I, for me, it wasn't a horse race to see like which of these companies will succeed and who's going to do better. I mean, it was all I cared about was will these, um, I call them kids, will these young people, they were 21, 22, 23 years old, will they learn? Will they grow? And for me, that movie, Generation Startup, is about celebrating moving outside our comfort zone to learn and grow, to, 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 to test ourselves, to see what we're capable of, and also working hard to make um, our communities stronger and to, to, to lift up others along with us. So for, for me, that movie isn't, was never about um, success in the conventional sense. And everyone in that film, they all learned and grew so much. I mean, in terms of measuring your success, you know, when you started out, everyone thought you were nuts, Andrew, and really? longer than a long shot. Cheryl. No one told me. <laughs> no, well, and then, you know, in terms of success, I mean, you made it, first of all, you made it much further than anyone would have ever bet. But also your, what you were trying to do was make the things you cared about that you saw that m most others didn't see part of our, um, you know, open, open our eyes to what was happening in the country. And you also wanted to normalize this idea of a freedom dividend or human, you know, universal basic income, which now, you know, you were so prescient about all of that. So you succeeded in a big way. And now you have uh, a lot of exposure that you're using to drive humanity forward. So I would call, you know, even though you're not our presidential candidate, I mean, I would call your run a tremendous success. Well, thank you, Cheryl. You were a big part of it. Uh, and certainly you helped in day one by making uh, what I thought was a very well done, clever, resourceful video, uh, given what we had. Um, <laughs> I want to say if people are listening to this and they're thinking of hiring me, do not use that video as the benchmark for what I'm capable <laughs> of. That's all I want to say. Um, well, I mean, you know, so you, they can look up your work and they can take their pick. Certainly, I, you know, I agree. Like that video, <laughs> like she did on a shoestring. Right, I'm very, very little footage and just made it happen. But I, I thought that that video was like a crucial part of our having any launch at all. Because even when I, because, I, you know, I, I'm like, I, I was uh, trying to plan my presidential launch. And I was like, what do I need at a bare minimum? I need a website. I need um, a piece of press, like something kind of credible. Yeah. And I need a snappy campaign video. 
And that if I don't have those three things, then like I should not even call myself an entrepreneur. <laughs> and so, well, you, um, and so you, you, yeah. you were the third leg of the stool, very much so, um, because uh, I thought you made a very snappy campaign video with very limited material. It, it, it at least was snappy. It was, definitely. <laughs> and it wasn't cheesy. It wasn't cheesy. So, so even if some of the licensed footage was. Uh, but yes. One reason why I always uh, admired you so much and we bonded over this is that you just seem like such an amazing parent uh, to me, having met uh, your kids now and, you know, they're in their 20s, a lot older than mine. Um, but you had such empathy for them, too, and they've become such fully formed, interesting, fascinating, creative adults. Uh, and, and that was something I, I always uh, admired about you a great deal. Like, I hope to live up to your example on that front. I'm sure you are, Andrew. I'm sure you are. But again, I don't know. You set a high bar, Cheryl. <laughs> like yeah. your kids are freaking phenomenal. Not to say, you know, like, that's not, again, the measurement, but like, you know, you, you just seem like such a, a loving, uh, warm, empathetic, understanding parent. Thank you. You know what? I think that uh, enlightened leadership, enlightened parenting, and, you know, it, it all boils down to the, all the same qualities that, that I bring to storytelling. Um, and, it's about engaged, active listening, really listening to our children and not trying to control them, um, letting them be who they are and having compassion or empathy for what they're going through. You know, if, if a child is throwing a temper tantrum, it's very easy to, as a parent, to get very frustrated. But I think the important thing is to have compassion for the child and try to understand what's causing that temper tantrum, you know, and then just um, being very real and um, and teaching them. Like I, I try to teach them to trust their gut and to hone their values. And I, I, you know, from a very young age, if they would come to me to work through something, I would just ask them a lot of open-ended questions to try to mirror back to them how they were feeling and help them navigate and figure out what they wanted. Um, I, I, you know, my husband and I, we never tried to tell them who they should be or what they should do. And I did say to them, I said, you know, we don't expect you to do everything well, but don't half ask the things that matter to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just commit yourself to doing whatever you do. I mean, I think that's Yeah, good. and do that well. I mean, but I, I'm most proud of them, Andrew, for the people they are, for their values, for their caring, their, you know, their high, you know, such, such strong values. Um, and yeah, so I, I'm much more, I'm, I'm proud of them for who they are as, as people, not for their accomplishments, which are theirs, not mine. Well, there is so... There's so much that people could take from really even what seems like relatively simple principles around parenting and leadership. Uh, you know, I, I think that degree of uh, listening to people and letting folks discover things for themselves and also trusting them. Yes. Um, uh, you know, I think there's a, a lot we could learn from that, you know, like that, like you, you are... Uh, so let, let's say there's one extreme and, you know, and the caricature of me actually embodies this extreme, though, though you're one person that always, uh, you know, poo-pooed the caricature, which I appreciate. Um, so I like, poo-poo all caricatures. I poo-poo all stereotypes. But yes. Um, so like if you have on, on one side, let's call it like the facts, figures, like uh, math, hyper-rationality, data-driven uh, you know, calculating. Uh, and then on the other side, you have like uh, human, emotional, empathetic, uh, caring um, stories and, and the rest of it. And, and the caricature of me is obviously all the way over here. Um, you, you've always uh, said like, no, Andrew, you're actually like much more human. And then I would sort of make some self-deprecating joke <laughs> about being like the robotic Asian guy <laughs> or, or whatever it happens to be. Uh, and um, you know, and I, I think that, that there's so much to be taken from your point of view, really. Uh, and it's something that our country is struggling with in a very real way, where you could also, if you wanted, and this is a generalization, obviously, but you could like, you know, put the gender polls 
um, uh, where when you talked about being the second in command, you helped build these various enterprises. Like, I, like at least for me, I heard it's like I have a feeling there are a lot of women who hear that who are like, yeah, like that's the way it is in my department, or that that's the way it is in the, like a particular, um, you know, like they look up at their their management team, they 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 see that sort of dynamic. Um, like I I think that that our economy, in my opinion, is becoming increasingly inhuman and punitive, and like veering off to like uh, this rightward direction. Uh, and my big goal is to try and humanize it. Um, and I, I feel like what you're doing with this human-centered storytelling is trying to drag us in this direction um, in a positive way. I feel like the world needs much, much more of it. The world would use like could use like a legion of Cheryl Hausers, even though that's impossible because you're like this unique um, figure and, and unicorn. Um, and one of my goals in having this conversation really was for you to try and impart some of what makes you you onto like other folks who want to be you. And I know there are many people listening to this or watching this who are thinking like, wow, this woman's amazing. Um, so yeah, that, that, that d just wanted to lay out that that was like the, um, the impossible goal I'd set <laughs> for, for myself in this conversation. Yeah, but uh, Andrew, you- express my profound gratitude for um, everything you've done and who you are. Oh, well, I feel the same about you, Andrew. You know that. But, and, and, you know, you say the caricature of you is, you know, maybe that, like, you know, the math guy. But we all know that's not who you are. I mean, why did you, 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 you risked so much and you, you know, you left your family for two years and you, like, went on a, on this campaign trail because you, you had a calling. You were driven because you were so empathetic to what you saw happening in our country. So you, you engaged your big brain to see, look at the data and see what was happening, but then you engaged your big heart to say, I see what's happening and I can't let it happen. I have to take action. And in your taking action, you stirred everyone else to follow you in solidarity to change what's happening. And that's what I try to do with storytelling. Um, the same thing to, to create action and solidarity. But you know, you, you ask in your book and your, your, your slogan was humanity first and now you're humanity forward. And in your book, you ask what makes us human? What makes us human is our ability to love, to feel, to care, to have empathy, to feel empathy. And, you know, um, in all of the, you know, there's this, this guy, um, Paul Zak, who's done a ton of studies in the lab around storytelling and around the oxytocin and the cortisol. But he, you know, uh, one of his studies, he would play a video of a father talking to, uh, to the camera about his son, who's two and dying of cancer. And, um, and uh, it, it follows that hero's journey of the of the the father's, I have to be strong for him. And then at the end, and he, he's uh, taking people's oxytocin in the beginning, the end, you know, cortisol, that the end of that story, he asks, do you want to donate some of the money you're being paid to be in this study to a, a charity that gives money to um, uh, for uh, children with cancer? And the higher levels of oxytocin that people have in their blood uh, indicated they would give more money. I mean, it's, and then the people who did give money felt warm and fuzzy after giving the money and the people who didn't, didn't, which we also know that when we give, we benefit so much. So this is what, like, I want to move people in telling stories to have the warm and fuzzy feeling and then, you know, and to be fired up to take action um, and you say it all the time, you know, and which is why you talk about like how dire things are, but you also give everyone hope. You have a vision of what society could be if we can tap into our humanity and tap into and get that oxytocin flowing, get the, you know, more of the optimism and the love and the caring and empathy and all of those things. So it, you know, it is, it is a self like love begets love. Hope begets hope. And we know when people are hopeful and optimistic, what they're capable of, they can start to take risk and um, see their potential and reach for their potential. If people have the men uh, uh, mentality of scarcity, as you talk about, they're, all they can think about is like survival. It's survival mode. And then you can't think about caring for others and loving others and all of those other things. So anyway, I mean, there is a corollary between what you're trying to do in politics and what I try to do with storytelling, 
Um, and it all comes down to humanity and what makes us human and bringing out the humanity in us because that's when we are our best selves. Now, that makes me really proud that you think we're doing the same kind of work, Cheryl. That makes me very happy. Um, you know, it, it is about dialing up humanity. Um, I have a question for you that like, I don't know if we've ever discussed this really, but when I, I told you I was running for president and I said, hey, when you make this campaign video, like, what did you really think? <laughs> um, I remember, I'll never forget the moment when you told me you were running for president. We were at um, an event screening at Grand Central Tech. And um, it, it was, you had just uh, sold your book, uh, The War on Normal People. You hadn't started to write The War on Normal People. And um, it, the people were, were watching the movie. And whenever uh, we were at these event screenings together, when people watched the movie, it was a time for us to catch up, which was wonderful. And you said, I'm going to run for president. And you know what? I said to you what I have would say to my children when they told me they were going to do things that sounded kind of crazy. I said, <laughs> that's amazing. I said, Andrew, go for it. First of all, because I knew you well by then. And I saw how you had built Venture for America so fast. And I knew that you more than anyone I've ever met can will things into being. And this is also storytelling. The stories we tell ourselves either propel us or hold us back. So, you know, um, we filmed with Cassandra, who was born a congenital amputee, and her whole life told herself and other people told her, you only have one arm. You cannot be a nurse. She wanted to be a nurse. She was told, you cannot be a nurse. You only have one arm. And then when she got onto social media and um, saw that there were other people with one arm who were nurses, if you can't see it, you can't be it, she realized, wow, I can be a nurse. And when she told herself, I can be a nurse, she figured out how to make that happen. You are someone who tells yourself, I am going to do this, I can do this, and then you make it happen. You just will it into existence. And that is also the power of storytelling, the stories we tell ourselves. And so when you said, I'm gonna run for president, I thought, okay, it's crazy, but Andrew is, he's gonna do it. I mean, I, I didn't think you were gonna be our candidate, but I did think that you were gonna make a lot of noise and that you were gonna reach your goal of making universal basic income and automation and all the things and a, you know, looking at a, a different way to measure progress in our, in our society, that you were going to make them part of the public you know, discourse um, throughout the campaign and onwards. And, and so, it, you know, you really have done that and you continue to do that through Humanity Forward, which is, and Yang Speaks and everything you're doing. So um, again, I, how, what did I think? I thought this is so bold. This is so crazy. If anyone can pull off success, whatever success is going to look like, it's Andrew. If anyone has the guts to do this, it's Andrew. And when you call, when, I remember when you asked me to do the video, you called, you got my voicemail and you left a message and you said, hey, Cheryl, it's Andrew calling. I have a favor to ask. Can you call me back? And I knew it's like, okay, Andrew wants me to make his campaign. Launch. I knew it. I just knew it. And I thought I am honored. I would be honored. That's what I thought, Andrew. Well, well, you definitely uh, delivered. You know, you called back and said, yeah, let's do it, which I was endlessly grateful for because uh, you didn't have much to work with and like we weren't paying top dollar or anything close to it. <laughs> it, was, it was just a, yet another labor of love. Um, and I hope you felt proud of everything that happened thereafter because so proud. I genuinely think that uh, it might not have happened if not for your belief in friendships. So thank you. Wow, it would have happened. But I was honored to be part of that journey and to be part of helping, you know, you, uh, you start the campaign. I mean... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, so if anyone wants to see your work, uh, where should they go? Uh, well, uh, they should go to creativebreed.com. And um, I have to update it because uh, some of my recent work isn't there. But, um, and Generation Startup is generationstartup.com. And we were on Netflix for two years, as you know, um, no longer, but we're still on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, Voodoo. Hoopla, 2B, I mean, Generation Startup is widely available um, and still should, moving you should, people. You should deeply. know, my, my cousin um, sent me a picture 
of my face on the monitor of the airplane seat in front of her because she was watching your movie on a plane being like, hey, look, <laughs> look at this. So the movie Generation Startup is indeed everywhere. And I'm sure it is uh, moving people um, all over the world still to this day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, we're just getting started. Uh, there are so many stories to tell and we, we do have to do everything we can to try and humanize uh, this land right now because it, it needs you uh, more than ever. Um, so thank you for everything, Cheryl. And uh, and, and thank you for helping make me more human. I genuinely had your voice in my ear the entire campaign. Where, 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 like, uh, I was like, you know what Cheryl would say? Cheryl would be like, Andrew, you know, you just have to try to um, express your humanity. So you should know you had a big impact on me. Uh, Thank you. I think I think it was the natural evolution, but I appreciate I hear you and I and I appreciate the thanks. But, um, you know, watching you for me, that was so I, what I was most proud of. I mean, just to see you grow and evolve, um, you know, you were always incredibly human. So it wasn't like you weren't human and you became human. It's just you allowed yourself to express that more and more and more, you know, as you, and now, you know, I think you're, you, like, you just are so comfortable in that, in that vein and place. Well, thank you. We have to unlock and uh, elevate people's humanity. Uh, I feel like, uh, you know, in, in a way, what you saw with me, I think um, we need to activate in more people, um, you know, uh, like that process. And, and I think, I genuinely think our economy and our culture have put us, uh, many of us in boxes where people just feel like they have like a narrow role to fill or like a narrow set of things they can express uh, and that if you can let them out of that box, uh, then the sky's the limit. I, I feel like that that's what your work's about. Um, but yeah, like it, it's, I learned a lot uh, and we are just getting started, as you said, and you're going to be there every step of the way. I'm going to call you next time, no, but, <laughs> but this time we'd, you know, have more to work with, I'm sure. <laughs>